0: rest of y'all have the grueling task of having to sit here and smell all the wonderful soups and buns and stuff. Well, we preach, so we'll try and keep it short. Emphasis on the try. Pastor Robin's like, so you're going to go shorter this morning? I'm like, well, I planned less notes, and I made less slides, so we'll see what happens. That's never a guarantee, because sometimes I come up with little notes and then barely use them, and other times I have lots of notes, and get through them all. So we're going to continue on in our series this morning on the nature and the character of God. We are our 15 weeks deep into this series covering uh, the high names of God, the redemptive names of God, and it's important that we have these established in us, not just for ourselves. Come on, we, we need to understand that The pastors and the teachers are not always the primary teachers of people that we come in contact with. You know, you are just as much responsible as me to lead others in the precepts of God. And so if you don't know it for yourself, how will you ever help someone else in through it? He said to his disciples, all of them, who had different callings, whether they were pastors, whether they were apostles, he told them all, go into all the world and preach the good news that's not a responsibility just on the pastors and the teachers that's a responsibility on the body of christ and so if we don't understand the character and the nature of god how can we adequately uh, bring that across to those that we come in contact with because we have to understand that a lot of what people think about god is just flat out not true And I think what Paul said to the Romans in uh, chapter 3, verse 4, he says, Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. Meaning there's going to be things that they say that doesn't make them true, but whatever God says, that is true. So when he reveals his nature and he reveals his character, that is the true nature of God, not our subjective experiences. You know, you run into a lot of people like, oh, I tried that God thing. He's just not as good as people say. No, that's not God that you were talking to. He is good every day. He is good every morning when you wake up. He's good every evening when you go to bed. He is worthy of all our praise and our worship. And every day he is good. And sometimes within ourselves we have to say, maybe I've been the one that's been lying about God. Let me purge my thoughts of what I thought he was and let it become established on the word of God. It's okay to say, I was wrong. I know it's not a popular thing today, you know, in every area of your life. If you discover you weren't right, go ahead and say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I apologize. Let's go on. Let, let's get things established on what is true. Yes. And so as Christians, we should be the ones that are, are more willing to do that than the world. Right. You know, if you find yourself that you were in the wrong in a relationship with someone, go to them and restore that relationship. Apologize. Come on, we're getting way off track. But sometimes when we're looking at the character and the nature of God, we have to look at ourselves and say, I was the wrong one that had the wrong picture of God. Let the Bible establish who he is and what he wants to do. And so the last two weeks, we've been focusing on one of the high names of God, and that is Adonai, him being our master or our Lord. And this is... I saved this high name of God for when we were doing the redemptive names because the redemptive names are what someone has discovered of God has been it's been proven out in his character and they're like this is what he is this is what I I reveal he is my Jehovah Jireh the Lord who provides he is Jehovah Shama the one who is here and the reason why I left Adonai amongst them is because Adonai is something that we call him But he doesn't call himself. You'll never find God saying, I am your master, do as I say. That's not how he portrays himself. But when we see Adonai, it's always someone understanding something that God's been revealed and saying, yes, you, you are definitely the one who should be leading. You're definitely the one whom I should be submitting to. And so I wanted to leave it with the redemptive names because it's something we say about Him, but He'll never force upon us. And the, the choice for Him to be your master or your Lord is always a free choice only made by a free person. And Jesus came and set you free. On that cross, he bore all sin, all guilt, all shame. He took it to the grave, and he killed it, and he left it there, and you rose up victorious with him. So you are now standing free before God, and now, as a free person, you can submit yourself to him. Anything other than that is slavery. God does not force his way. When you understand him, it's like, how could I not want to be with you? How could I not want you to be the one who's in the lead? And I understand I said this last week, this is not a popular thing that we hear preached because most people are like, I want to be a strong, independent person. It's my way or the highway. You've heard that before, right? Well, when it comes to God, let it be his way or no way at all. Come on. You don't need your strength. We don't need your independence. You need his strength, and he un- wants your dependence upon him to fully rely and establish yourself upon him. And so it may not be popular, but God doesn't care what is popular. We want to p- focus on what is true. Amen? And so when we speak of Adonai, it speaks that the servant can depend upon the master for provision, for protection and for direction. And that's a direct quote out of a biblical commentary. And when I was going through all the different ones that I normally fact check things through, I kept finding it in that same order that we can depend upon him for provision, for protection, and for direction. And as I told you last week, I think that order needs to be reversed. When you go to him for direction, you will find yourself in his protection and in his provisions. When it's about provision, you're not necessarily looking for him to say, God, what should I be doing? Where should I be going? But when you ask him, he knows how to provide like you can't. And too much of the the, the church world wants God to rubber stamp their plans. God, here is what I want to do. Bless it. But that's not how it goes. The relationship we have with him, we say, God, what should I do? You know me better than I know myself. You know my gift. You know the talents that you've given me. Where should I be? What should I be doing? But more above that, he knows what, where you're at in each stage of your life. Yes. Come on, we, we got to know. There's different stages, right? Yes. You know, with the men we looked at in our last series, that there's this, the spring of life, there's the summer of life, there's the fall of life, there's the winter of life. you got to know what season and what your purpose is in the season that you're in. And God knows what season you're in and knows where you need to be in that season, what you need to be doing. As uh, as, uh, Solomon wrote, there's a time to plant and there's a time to harvest. There's a time to rejoice. There's a time to dance. There's a time for all these things. God knows perfect timing. And so when we reverse the order, we can depend upon the master for direction and for protection and provision. And his lordship conveys a sense of complete possession of the servant by the master and a complete submission of the servant. As Paul said, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Meaning, let all that you are glorify God and be for his use. You can submit yourself before him and say... I'm yours to command, Lord. Whatever you want, that's what I want. Whatever you want me to be doing, that's what I want to be doing. And and as it says in the Old Testament, it's those who are willing and obedient. Those are the ones that eat the good of the land. Come on. There's a lot of Christianity that says, give me the good, give me the good land, give me the good land, but they're not willing to walk the good path. It says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. We live a, a life that is submitted to the to Adonai, the master. And so I want to wrap up Adonai before we move on today. And when we get the idea of he's the master and we're the servant, as I already mentioned, we can kind of get the, the negative idea of I'm a slave to him and I have to do it. And that's not bond servanthood at all. We told you in Exodus chapter 17 that a free man comes to the master and says, I love my master and I don't want to be outside of your house. I choose to serve you. It's a free position. And so it's not about slavery. It's not about all the negative things that we can attach to the idea of a master and a servant. You know, I, I saw a video just this week as I was scrolling through the internet and it was a, a realtor talking about oh, we can't call them. Master bedrooms anymore because that brings back too many bad memories from people. I'm like memories, you mean history, but not memories. There's there's no people that are are, were living slaves, and so he's saying we can't call it the master bedroom. We have to call it the primary bedroom. Come on, I don't have a problem with it. He's my master. I don't have a problem with that term. Whatever you want, Lord, let's do it. Let's go that way. And so there's a lot of crazy ideas that are portrayed in in the world these days. But the I think Psalm eighty six paints an excellent picture of Adonai the Master, and so if you want to turn over there, this is a Psalm of David, in verse uh, chapter eighty six, verse three. We're going to start this morning, and David says this to God. He says, "Be merciful to me, O my Master, for I cry to you all day long." Now. I want you to understand that word cry is not like, oh, God, help me, help me. It's the, the word Hebrew word that's used there means to call out to. It's to say, hey, God, I'm, I'm checking in with you. What do you need? What should I be doing? It's a it's a state of constant check-in. It's kind of like, you know, I, I think of it with my own kids. When things get quiet, we're like, Montgomery, where are you? <laughs> and maybe when you're in a situation in your life and you're like, like, why does it seem so quiet? God. Where do I need to be? What should I be doing? It's that constant check-in. So it's not, it's not David whining to God, oh, please help me. It's him checking in and calling to God. And he says, rejoice the soul of your servant, or make glad my heart, oh, God, for to you, O oh my master, I lift up my soul. And he's saying, when I, when I lift up to you, God, I know you make me glad. You, you stir me up. And so we can come into into situations in our life where it seems like things get heavy, lift your heart and yourself up to the master, and he makes it glad. This is the true character of Adonai. He says in verse 5, For you, my master, are good. And you are ready to forgive. And you are abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. That is the character of the master. And when you've got a good master, you can be assured that life will be good. He's not a hard one. He's not one that's going to put heavy things on you. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you'll find rest for your souls. And so the character of the master is that he's good, he's ready to forgive, he's abundant mercy to all who call upon him. And so David says, give ear, O Lord, or O Jehovah, it's not the Adonai on that one. He says, to my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer. Now, depending on how you read certain things, you can... You can make it sound different ways, right? You can say, in the day of my trouble, I'll call upon you, God, for you will answer me. That's not what David's saying. He's saying, I know you, God, that when I talk to you, you talk to me. And so this is not a demand of God. This is David's understanding of God. When I talk, you talk. That's relationship, back and forth. And he says, among the gods... There are none like you, O my master, nor are there any works like your works. All of the nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O my master, and shall glorify your name. This is a prophetic verse. Do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about what Paul talked about. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. And so David is stepping into prophetic here, and he's like, all the nations are going to come, and they are going to worship you. And when everything is revealed at the end of time, whether they serve God on earth or not, when they see him, they're going to go, I wish I would have come sooner. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, because you are great, and you do wonderful things, and you alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. That's that direction. Teach me your way, God, and I'll walk that way. Unite my heart to fear or reverence your name. He's not talking about being afraid of his name, but be in awe. Man, we were praying in in, in leadership prayer before service today that at the name of Jesus, everything bows. Everything. There's nothing that the name of Jesus won't conquer. There's no sickness, there's no disease that the name of Jesus will not make bow. So unite my heart to be in awe of your name, O God. I will praise you, O my Master, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forevermore. For great is your mercy towards me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. So depending on how you want to interpret that, you've delivered me from hell. Or you can put it, you've delivered me from the grave. Whatever you want to put your interpret, he takes you out of the dark places and he brings you into his marvelous light, into his glory, because his mercy toward me is ending. It's great. It's super abundant. And you have delivered me out of every depth of hell, God. Come on, sometimes we go through life and we're living in a personal hell. He wants to lift you up out of that pit. He wants to say, come on, this is not where my servant gets to dwell. My servant goes up the hill with me. I will lift him up. I will glorify him. He goes with me where I go because he is mine. The master takes personal responsibility for the servant. It says, oh God, the proud have risen against me. And a mob of violent men have sought my life and have not set you before them. And so David's looking at all these people, and this is a time in David's life where, yeah, he's got more enemies than he's got friends. And he's looking out, and he says, the common denominator that all my enemies seem to have is you are not before them. They didn't put themselves under your mighty hand. And he says, but you, O Adonai, our God, full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant and mercy and truth. Come on. That's the character of the master. And so he says, oh, turn to me. Have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Come on. That's the character of the master. Yes. He is merciful, ready to forgive, gracious, compassion, long-suffering. Wherever you go with him, you find good things. Amen? So we don't have to be afraid of those types of characteristics of God. We need to have clarity on what he actually means by them. Amen? He's a good master. He's a good Lord, and you can submit yourself unto him. And like Peter said last week, when you humble yourself under his mighty hand, he exalts you. He gives you purpose. He right lifts you up to where you were meant to be. Amen? So in the time we have left, I want to cover one more redemptive reality. It's going to be a small one, and it's an easy one to cover. And you can turn over to your in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 16. And... Exodus chapter 16 to give you a little context is the nation of Israel has just come up out of Egypt They've been delivered from bondage They've been delivered from out of slavery under the hand of the Egyptian people They've had the the ten plagues They've had the, the Red Sea split and they've been miraculously delivered by the Egyptians And that's where we find them right now dwelling at a place called Elam And Elam Basically means oasis. It's this place that's in the middle of the desert. They've come across the sea. And the Bible tells us there was about 70 palm trees. And there was a pool of water. It was a place where they could find rest after the hardship that they just experienced. you got to think, there's been a little bit of fear that's been going through. The Egyptians are right behind us. They're going to come and they're going to take us back. And then God delivers them through the sea. The sea closes. The Egyptians are no more. And you got to think, they're wound a little tight. (laughs) Like, oh my goodness, did you see what just happened? We thought we were going back into slavery, but God has delivered us. And you got to think, the adrenaline has probably been pumping pretty hard. And so God brings them to Elim, the oasis, to rest. And they spend some time just drinking of the waters there, feeding the flocks that they brought with them. And they've been in Elim for just a little bit of time, enough to catch their breath. And in verse 1 of chapter 16, it says, And they journeyed from Elim, and all the congregation and the children of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. Now I don't know which name came first, all the sin that the nation of Israel did in the wilderness, or was it already named that name? I don't know, but it's an adequate name because that's exactly what they did at that point. They began to sin. And you could say, Pastor Jordan, how did they start to sin? It wasn't that they were doing evil actions. They turned their hearts away from God and began to complain against Him. And there's a reason for it that is revealed in this verse that's easy to pass over. So they came to the wilderness of sin Which is between Elam, the oasis And Sinai Where they were going, where God was leading them And it's on the 15th day Of the second month After they departed from the land of Egypt It's the 15th day Of the second month, which means One month and 15 days A month and a half Why is that an important detail? Resources are starting To run out What they took with them when they left, they put what they could carry on their backs, what they could carry in their little, their bags, what they could put on the flocks that they brought with them. month and a half, resources are starting to look scarce. And when things begin to be scarce, it reveals your heart and your trust of God. And that's why that detail is important. They don't have anything that can meet their need. Come on. You've been there? You hit the end of yourself and you realize, I'm I'm out. What do I do? You've got two options. You can complain or you can reign. If you've got time to complain, you've got time to to reign.
1: Verse 2.
0: The whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and against Aaron in the wilderness. They made their choice. It says, the whole congregation. It's not one or two. The heart of the nation is being tested here. God had some work he needed to do in them. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, That we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Oh, that we would have died by the hand of the Lord. Last time I checked, he wasn't their problem in Egypt. The Egyptians were. He wasn't the one killing them in Egypt. The Egyptians were. Come on, do we remember how the Exodus starts? The Pharaoh's throwing all the babies into the river. Come on. God was not their problem in Egypt. But when you let choose to stand in the place of complaints, you'll find something to complain of, even if you have to make it up. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that we would have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. One lie, two lie, three lies. None of that was happening in Egypt. They, they, they weren't sitting by full pots. They were under full days of labor. They were under the lash. Pharaoh kept doubling their workload. He was trying to push them down. But it seems like when we're doing it in our own strength, we'll pick out anything we can and make it a complaint. And he says, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly with hunger. I think Moses could have saved himself some trouble and just let them die in Egypt if he wanted them to die. And so God has a meeting. For the sake of time, we're not going to read it all. God has a meeting with them, and he's like, what? This is all over? You guys don't got anything to eat? Is that too hard for me? He drops a flock of quail right into their camp. Here's meat. He said, you'll have meat in the morning and you'll have bread in the evening. So the quail just crashes into their... They didn't even have to go hunt it. I'm sorry, I know you like the, the side of hunting toph where you go and find it. They didn't have to do that. It's just like, boom, there it is. Boom, there's another one. Hey, I guess we're having meat for dinner. <laughs> and then he begins to rain manna down into the camp. And he had to teach them... Trust him. He said to them, each day you go out and you collect one omer for each person that lives with you. Don't take more. All you need is one omer. And you know, think about this: God's not even just giving them bread. It said that this bread tasted like honey. Come on, because you think like, oh, I can't eat bread for 40 years. Pretty sure if it tasted like honey, you could. Honey is awesome. He gave them sweet bread, and he said, "Just take one omer for each person." Well, you know what happened on that first day? They went and just got as much as they could get: one omer, two omer, three omer, four, five omer, six omer, seven, but more. And what happened is they woke up the next morning thinking, "Oh, I've collected enough yesterday. We're all good." And it had turned to worms. And God said, you take one day's one day's all you need. Why? What did Jesus say? Give us this day our daily bread. Can you trust him for one day? No, no, no. God I, God, I want you to fill my bank account so I don't ever have to trust you again. Can you trust him for one day? Because if you can trust him for one, you can trust him for two, you can trust him for three, you can trust him for four. He was working on their heart. And so they go through six days. And on the sixth day, he's like, remember how that first day I told you you couldn't take more than one day's worth? Guess what? I want you to go out and collect two days' worth. And you gotta think. They're now thinking, but we saw the worms on Tuesday. What did they do? Two omers a person on Saturday. Actually, it would have been Friday because they observed Sabbath on Saturday. But they got up the next day God will take care of you. Man, we're spending a lot of time on stuff that we weren't going to focus on today. God will take care of you. Trust him for the daily bread. He said, is this this about food? Quail. Is this about bread? Manna. Trust me. And so, chapter 16 is about food. Chapter 17, verse 1 says... Then all the ch- congregation of the children of Israel, they set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped in Rephidim, but there was no water to drink for the people to drink. And so you think, yesterday's story should have been enough, but here we're going back around the mountain again. they have now in Rephidim, which means place of rest. They came from Elam, the oasis, into the wilderness of sin where God taught them a lesson to get out, and now they come to a place of rest where they should let back and rely on God. Just like Jessica was singing this morning, I want to sit at your feet, I just want to rest on you, I want to hear your heartbeat as I'm trusting and I'm relying. This was supposed to be a place of rest for them, but all they could focus on is that they didn't Therefore, the people contended with Moses, saying, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me and why do you tempt the Lord? What he was basically saying is, Haven't we already seen this dog and pony show? Haven't we already seen how this ends? Why are you talking to me and why are you coming against God? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you've brought us up out of Egypt? to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. Before, it's like you should have let God kill us. Now it's like you're going to kill us with thirst. And if you're going to die, that's one of the worst place, ways to go, right? Thirsting. But Moses called out to the Lord saying, what do I do with these people? They're, They're ready to stone me. <laughs> and so Moses' trust wasn't shaken. He's just saying, God, what do I do with the people? I'm good. What are the people, what do I do with these people? And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people, and take some of the elders of Israel, and also take in your hand your rod, which will you struck the river, and go. That's a very important point that we're going to come back to in a second. But God said, Take the rod which you struck the river with. And when they came into this land, God said, Hit the river, and the river parted, and they went across. Just like he said when they were at the edge of the Red Sea, he said, Stretch out your rod. This is something that God was using to help Moses along the way. And in verse 6, he says, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. And this is a reminder that he is Jehovah Shammah. He is present with you. Wherever you find yourself standing, there he is before you. Whatever it is you need, he is there. Jehovah Jireh is present He doesn't leave. And so he says to Moses, Behold, I'm going to stand before you on a rock in Horeb, and you'll strike that rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Thank God Moses was obedient. God. He listened to God. He said, God, what do you want me to do? And God said, this is what I want you to do. And Moses went and did it. It's a simple procedure for us all to follow. If he's our master, if he's our Lord, look for the direction. You'll find the protection. You'll stand in the provision. And so he does exactly what God told him to do. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, which means complaints and temptations. (laughs) because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord not among us or is he among us or not? Is God here or not? That was their complaint. And so God, chapter 16, he gives them food when they needed food. He gives them water when they needed water. And here they are in Rephidim at the place of rest. And we get verse 8. Now, Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. In the place of rest, someone comes to fight them, and not just anyone. Amalek is someone very specific. Do we remember the four the patriarchs of the nation of Israel? We got Abraham, we got Isaac, and we got Jacob. But do we remember that Jacob had two sons, Or, sorry, Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau had a kid who had a kid, and his name was Amalek. And Amalek became a great nation. And the place of rest, who is it that comes to stir things up? Family. (laughs) (laughs) Of all the people who are going to cause problems... The ones we expect the least is family, but we've seen this story over and over and over. Sometimes they're the easiest ones to get the enemy to s- stir them up. Oh, sorry,
1: <laughs> I forgot. Wrong arm.
0: Let's go over here. <laughs> sorry, you didn't have your your hand on, your cast on, so I forgot. But he s- uses family to stir up. against them. We gotta get moving here. God, man, (laughs) digging a hole. (laughs) So Amalek came, and he fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, "Choose some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. And tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God." This is very specific what God has told him to do. Take your rod and strike the rock. Go take your rod. It's the rod of God in your hand. What do we need to know about this rod? There's an important reason why it's being focused on in this. It's because if we go back to Exodus chapter 4, when Moses comes in contact with Adonai for the first time, he says to the master, I can't do this i'll go but i can't talk well i can't do this god and sometimes it seems like the master's pushing you in a direction that doesn't seem very comfortable for you and you may be saying i can't do this god and he says yes you can he says but just just to make things easier on you i'll send aaron with you and it's funny because he says aaron can go and talk for you but then we read the story Aaron never talks in the story. Moses does all the talking, so his complaint wasn't even valid. He's like, "I can't do this, God. I can't talk. I can't speak well." Oh, here, Pharaoh, let's have a conversation. You know, come on. Sometimes the things that we think are a big deal really aren't the big deal, and the Master knows better than we do. Yes. And so after he says that to God, and God says, "Take Aaron with you," and he says to, Mo- and he's like, Moses says unto Adonai, he says, "But what if they don't believe me?" what if they don't believe me? And God says, what's in your hand, Moses? And he said, a rod. He said, throw it down. And so Moses tosses the rod down, and it turns into a great snake, and Moses jumps back, and he's like, wasn't expecting that. That's a cool party trick. And God says, don't don't back up, Moses. Grab it by the tail. Now, I despise snakes. (laughs) I cannot stand them. I don't like how they slither at the last second and you kind of like walk and It's like, oh, there they are. I do not like them. So I get why Moses is backing up. But even as much as I don't like snakes, I know when you handle a snake, how do you not grab it? By the tail. Why? Because you don't have control. You grab it by the back of the head. And so what God was saying to Moses is, I want you to give up Stop trying to handle this situation yourself, Moses. I can't talk. What if they don't believe me? God's saying, shut up and let me do it. Grab it by the tail, give up control, and go forward. And so Moses grabbed the snake by the tail, and it turned back into a staff. And that, he threw it down as his rod, and he picked it up as the rod of God. God, you are my master. You're the one that's in control. If you tell me to go forward, we go forward together. And so Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek, and Moses and Aaron and Hur went up on the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and they put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Just a side note in there, you need good friends yeah. who, when you say, God's told me to do this, they get, get with you, and they hold up your hands Rather than kick out your feet from underneath you You need good godly people Because to a normal person Why are you going up on the hill And why do you think that this is going to help Moses (laughs) You know this is the reason why this is a status of worship God I give up my strength I give up my thoughts And I, I come to worship you And I lift up my hands before you Come on This doesn't make sense to the world but this should make total sense to the Christian. We need to worship God. We need to give him place and get some good friends that will lift up your hands when they start getting heavy. And so they stood there until the going down of the sun. And so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And Moses built an altar there. And he called its name the Lord is my banner or we find our next redemptive name Jehovah Nisi Lord you're my banner of victory when you put God before you and you hold his standard high the victory is assured yes, yes. the word here Jehovah Nisi comes from the word Nis, nice, which means rod and in the time of Moses they would have had a rod The rod of authority, the rod of power. They usually would have put some jewels to make it shiny so that when they marched into battle, they would hold the rod and it was saying, I go forth and this victory will be claimed for this king. Or this ruler, or this person. And from there, as we go through history, it turned into they would carry a flag into battle, and there would be the sigil of whoever's house was fighting, and they'd be saying, this victory belongs to this king, this lord, this master. And it goes on and on. So when we hold up the banner of the Lord, he assures the victory. And just as Jesus said in the book of John, and if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples unto myself. When we lift up Jesus, it starts bringing people and drawing people in. And you're saying, why don't I have what I need? Why don't I have who I need? Who's going to help me? Who's going to go with me? As you lift up Jesus, it draws all men unto you. When Your help that you need will come running when you put Jesus at the forefront of it. Come on, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, Thanks be to God who always leads us into triumph in Christ Jesus. He leads us. What did he say? Moses went up he said, I will stand before you on the rock of Horeb and hit the rock. When you put God before you, He leads you into triumph. Yes, he does. Come on, I love how the message translation said that. In Christ, God leads us from place to place in one perpetual victory parade. From place to place. From Egypt to Red Sea to Elam to Wilderness of Sin to Rephidim to the Promised Land. Wherever it is you're going, he will lead you from victory to victory to victory. And not only that, it says and through us, he brings knowledge of Christ. Everywhere we go, people breathe in the exquisite fragrance because of Christ. We give off a sweet scent rising to God which is recognized by those on the way of salvation. An aroma strong with So today, he is Jehovah Nisi. He is my banner of victory. When I hold him high, the victory is assured. Amen? Why don't you stand on your feet? Father, we thank you that you know exactly what's going on in each and every one of our lives. You know exactly the battles we face or the place of rest that we're in. But wherever we find ourselves God, we hold your banner high today. We say, Jesus, be lifted up in our lives. Be glorified above all else that we do. In everything, we call you Lord and Master. And we know that when we're with you, the victory is assured that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. All those who rise up against us will fall because the victory is assured in you, God, because we call you Jehovah Nissi. You are our banner of victory, and we will hold your rod high. We will glorify your name, Jesus. We will not weaken. We will not back up. You are drawing all men unto you. Hallelujah. I thank you, Lord, that this body here in Word Church is a growing, thriving body. You are drawing, and we are receiving. Come on. You're drawing people of resources, people of abilities. Oh, you have connected us with the call of the man from Macedonia, and his doors are supernatural. You're drawing people we don't even know to come and join with us, to work with us, to work with their hands and lift up our hands. I thank you, Father, that the Timothys are among us. The Timothys are here. We thank you, Lord. We lift you up, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Oh, we magnify your name, O Lord. Oh, we glorify. You're our victory You are our sure thing In whom you we can place our trust Oh God Oh we glorify you Lord Hallelujah Oh we glorify you Lord You're our banner of victory Yes you are oh God Oh, we look to you for direction. In you we find protection. In you we receive provision. You are all we need, oh God. Yes. And that's how it is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because your words are true. Sure thing, they never change. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, in just a moment, our, our Word Care team is going to be here at the front. Just because it's soup and bun days doesn't mean you need to go without what you need. If you need prayer, you need agreement, you need to celebrate, testify, whatever, the Word Care team will be there in just a moment. Pastor Robin.
1: Amen. Is he master of your provisions? Is he master of your finances? Is he master of all you need? Amen. Adonai. Hallelujah. Let's. Uh, we're gonna be. This is offering time, and so we're gonna. You can give by doing what that says on the screen there. And or use the envelope in front of you, and, and just put your name and address on there, and and so on. And let's say this together. This is my seed. I sow it into the kingdom of God. Seed, do what you do best. Grow. I sow you to spread the gospel, I sow you to strengthen believers, I sow you to go where I cannot, I sow you to grow, multiply and return in great supply, harvest I receive you, lack I resist you, his supply is sufficient, I walk in abundance of grace, in Jesus name, amen, amen, so be it, hallelujah, and so we have, <coughs> we have the food we're about to have, so let's pray.